And welcome to the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Ah, ah! That, that sounded painful. <laughs> hey, and speaking of painful, I'm Randy. <laughs> and I'm Mike. Yeah, so. Equally painful. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, here we are uh, coming at you with the podcast hot on the heels of the release of the Dungeons and Dragons movie. So, yeah, we're going to get that's our topic for today. We're going to jump right into that in a few moments. Uh, we got a couple of things to talk about. Yeah. Like, the last episode, uh, our player oppositional defiance disorder was a pretty big hit. Glad that uh, folks really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, and the spoiler alert was, is yeah, it's mostly about DMs. Um, the player oppositional defiance order is roughly a call out to DMs to pull back a little bit and listen. Yeah, and, and be ready for like having to negotiate your way past these difficult moments because it comes with the turf. It is one of those things that I, I know it's easy to be enraged by having these things that like challenge you and take away from the part of the game that you want to be doing, but they are legitimate hazards of the trade. Okay. They're, they're one of those things that if you really love doing this, you're going to face it eventually helping people be ready for that. And you be open-minded to finding different ways to resolve it. Uh, that's what we're all about. I, yeah. One comment it was uh on twitter <clears throat> uh but anyway um it was pretty timely i think to fact that i you know expected more ways to deal with difficult players and it's like yeah uh we did spend a lot of the first part kind of equipping the toolkit for uh, as you as a dungeon master deal with certain players and you know rather than try to like pillory people and say like well you know, some people are just garbage players and you need to just not deal with them. That's an easy dismissal. And that would have been a very short episode. You know, just don't put up with players who want to defy you at every moment. Uh, the community scene from Chevy Chase's character, uh, player oh, God. entering in. Yeah, that person would have seen their way right out the door. You know, it's like, yeah, you need to leave and um, <laughs> we can't or won't put up with this. So I think that was pretty much uh, obvious, but yeah, maybe we needed to find that a little bit more, but uh, yeah, I was really appreci appreciative of the uh, support and views that that uh, episode got. So appreciate it. Uh, just to let Well, me and it's a fair point. Uh, there isn't a huge variety that we know of in terms of ways to navigate around a player who is truly obstinate uh, and like embracing the fact that, Either something rises to the level of needing intervention, or it doesn't. Uh, you know that you're you're really only in one of two places. Yeah. Uh, and then the interventions, if that is the place that things are at, you really only take two forms, which is mild, which you know, like you may still have wiggle room here. You've you've got the power to negotiate. Uh, there are ways to engage their interest and to make them grasp that. It's respectful to the other people at the table to help this go in a direction. That that one peer pressure. We, we, peer pressure. Yeah, there is going to be some peer pressuring involved, and you know it's for the noble cause of everybody having a good time, as opposed to you know like getting you know like okay, come on, you're not one of us if you don't hit the beer bong again. Oh, you know boy. until somebody throws up. Yeah. Got to keep going. It, you, that's it's a very different kind of peer pressure. It's all fun and games till somebody gets a concussion, uh, and then <laughs> until the the frat hazing results in a death. Uh, yeah, that peer pressure we don't need. But 
you know, encouraging people to come into a game with a positive and productive state of mind that is welcoming to the other players at the table. Yeah, that's not really too much to ask. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel like, oh man, you know, like I'm, you're asking me to be a hurdler on my first day and like these things are like four and a half feet high. <laughs> Nobody's asking that, okay? We're, we're talking about like a curb, you know, that you you may have to like lift your foot several inches to get over that curb. <laughs> but I, I don't feel like, like, we're not laying down the massive challenge on that yeah. one. Uh, and then, of course, you come to the final point, which was the toughest of all calls, which is like, yeah, you're going to have to axe this. This this is the no-go zone where like you you get boxed into a corner and you just have to say, this is really not working. Uh, you know, that this is not going to work at this table. I'm not, I'm not okay with not this. Not okay with that, right? Uh, so, all right. Well, hey, I think it's time to look into the part, the veil of the future, and see what lies behind it. For that, we must consult the Astrogallomancer. Oh, ah, yes, the highly fitting Astrogallomancer who gazes into dice to divine the future. Ah, and as he gazes into the dice, the Astrogallomancer sees next week's episode. And we're going to be having a peek at the massive dust up oh. that <laughs> took place. Uh, at the D&D Summit. Oh, yeah, the D&D Creator Summit, yeah. Yeah, the, the did not go as people might have hoped. Uh, Wizards, I, I can't fault them for having a good idea in inviting the uh, variety of social influencers and, uh, you know, critics and, and commenters on the hobby into their fold and saying, hey, how about you guys have a look at what we're doing and where we think things are going. Uh, in its concept, great. Okay, yeah, asking the community to come in there and have a peek and see what they think. In its execution, uh, incredibly awkward, it seems, since the impression one gets from the fallout is that they were absolutely unready to deal with a wide variety of people from different places and with different ideas and different questions. Um, they were not there to be led around by the nose and given a lecture. They were there to participate, uh, to, to have a chance to give input. And oh, brother, did they live up to their own expectations. Yeah. Yeah, they were there to give input, and they gave it whether you liked it or not. So... That dust up, there's a lot of minutia and a lot of details still flowing forth. Uh, once we have had a proper chance to give these in a suitable review, then we will do a breakdown for everybody next week. Yeah, when we talked about doing this episode, uh, I mean, not to break the fourth wall with the astronomer, but when we talked about doing this, we said maybe to do it today. But I think we need to unpack a little bit more. There's a lot to go through here, and more will be revealed. Because it wasn't a open summit. It was uh, creators and influencers invite, were invited by Wizards of the Coast to view what Wizards wanted was the VTT unveiling. And, man, that uh, mm -hmm. it did not go the way Wizards scripted it. And that's because you invited very strong, opinionated people, which is good. I mean, that's good that Wizard wants to reach out to people who differ. <laughs> You're DMing a linear module, and your players 
are having an open source campaign. Yeah, <laughs> at that point, it's time to read the room, Bill. And you I'm have... not going into the Dragon's Den. No, no, we're, we're, we're going to that edge of the map that hasn't been covered yet. And uh, we're, we're going to explore that, that vague patch of forest that like clearly indicates that there's more forest further along, but, but not shown on the map. That's where we want to go. Yeah, and you know, wizards uh, should have just like read the room and said, "Okay, let's go there and let's find out what lies beyond there," because I don't know either. So, yeah, rather than say that out loud, they should have just like let let it go. But yeah, we'll we'll delve into that next week. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there's some room for comedy in this upcoming episode. Yeah. So please look forward to that. I, I may have some saltier commentary. <laughs> well, you can expect no less from the podcast. <laughs> oh, the indifferent deity. Of gaming podcasts, yeah. Like, why do Thanks you follow Crom? Yeah, why do you follow this <laughs> guy anyway? Oh, well, you know, it's pretty vague, and don't expect a lot of favorites. But uh, you know, there isn't a whole lot of strictures you got to follow. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not a demanding deity. Like, mm -hmm. I need precisely this sacrifice at this time, and I need this much loyalty. No, no, no rules. It does. You know, hey, if this is the kind of thing you like. You might like that kind of thing. You might be in it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, well, let's uh, let's talk about the uh, 800-pound gorilla in the room, the uh, D&D movie. Now, this is going to be in two parts. The first part is us just basically going to be giving some reactions and some basic criticisms, spoiler-free. So, yeah. if you haven't seen the movie, this part is for you. Or if you're just waiting to be uh, for it to be on streaming or whatever, um, and see it, then, uh, yeah, this is a part that uh, might uh, tip your interest and go see the movie while it's out in theaters. But the second half will be spoiler heavy. We will go uh, headfirst into this, and uh, we will give full examinations of what we thought about certain things. But uh, I don't think there's too much really to preamble this, so let's just jive right in. Um, yeah, yeah, just, just so you know, this segment, Spoiler free. Uh, there will be tidbits that, you know, brush up against things, but nothing so damning that it will spoil any major part of the movie uh, or even some of the minor parts of the movie. Now, that said, the second section, we're going hard. So that one, for those of you who have not yet seen the movie, I strongly recommend that if you do not desire spoilers, do not listen to the second half. Uh, Put it off. Come back to it another time. It'll still be there. You know, waiting for you on Spotify. Just, you know, a click away. So all have been fairly forewarned and forearmed. Uh, <laughs> and now we launch. Yeah, so um, this has been in production. The D&D &D, uh, Dungeons and Dragons movie, Honor Among Thieves, is pretty much, a, 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 I guess the best way to put it is it's an action comedy. Fair, fair. It's got a kind action, of a heist. Action, fantasy, comedy, heist. Yeah, it's got a heist element to it, kind of like Ocean's Eleven sort of thing. But <laughs> it's directed by Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, who I think don't can't get enough praise for doing a wonderful job with the content, especially from the trash heap they inherited from 2013 after that lawsuit with oh, Sweet 2003. Oh, well, 2013, they, oh. they settled the lawsuit with Sweet Pea and uh, uh, Warner Brothers. Oh, yeah. Or Universal, excuse me. That's it. Uh, and now uh, Warner Brothers uh, had some stakes in it. And it got the film rights back, and they had a, a previous skip, uh, script, as I understand it. 
and then they uh, improved upon that. But they started filming it in 2021 in uh, Iceland and then in Northern Ireland. And uh, that's a nice backdrop. So for what is ostensibly the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, and here's something that is not a spoiler, but a, a tidbit that is relevant to the viewing of the film. Uh, many of the landscape shots and, you know, like uh, the, the scenery, uh, reminiscent of uh, the adaption of Lord of the Rings that we're all so familiar with. Uh, beautiful landscapes. However, less time dwelling on them. Yeah. Uh, this is a much faster paced product. Uh, oh yeah, let's talk about the pacing. The yeah. pacing was all the way. I thought that it didn't. There was just a few moments of light dragon just when it started to get a little bit. Yeah, just when you were starting to think like, eh, you know, things are lagging a bit. Not so. Like they move it right back into gear very quickly. I appreciated that because it is a somewhat lengthy piece of film, as it deserves to be. Yeah, I mean, like this was not like a ninety-minute in and out. You know, uh, yeah, this wasn't like the first one. It was ninety minutes. Let's get this pig in a can. Yeah, and they had a pretty good uh, the original D and D movie. The first one, the ones that we don't like. <laughs> uh, I had that one didn't have a bad budget, about thirty million dollars or so. No, when you consider that uh, Peter Jackson first went to New Zealand with only ninety million. You know, yeah, of course, later he got $280 million when, you know, they, they decided to up it from two films to full three. And, you know, then he really got the money, the cash flowing in that he wanted because he pushed the vision. But, yeah, getting back on track here, the you wonder, like, where the $30 million went in that first D&D movie. And it was terrible. Yeah. I, I mean, the effects and the props. I mean, there was a couple points, I think, in the first movie where like the maze scene where he's in the Thieves Guild maze. It showed some, okay. Conceptually. I'm, I'm with this. I, solid, I, you know, concept. But then it just fell flat. Yeah, the execution, of course, is where the real question Where lies. they get the scepter of Red Dragon control. It looks like a cheap prop. I mean, just I know that cosplayers have come a long way, but cos, you know, you just could have had a basic uh, cosplayer throw that together in less than 10 minutes. And, and they... Likely would have done a better job. Yes. Uh, or uh, 10 days, you know, give them a good 10 days uh, head start and they would have had a, a much better product. Oh my God, yes. Because let, let's give it up to the cosplayers out there. I know there are people that don't like that or don't think that's like an authentic part of gaming. But like for those of us who have been going to the cons for a really long time, uh, it's been a persistent oh, yeah. facet of the culture for uh, forever. And the creativity and expertise of some of these people is like off the charts, man. It always impresses the heck out of me. I'm like, man, that is, I don't have anywhere near that much dedication. Yeah. I, I'm the dude who like uh, for a Halloween costume, you realize what I did <laughs> just to, to, because my nephew is a huge, was a huge fan of the, the Rick and Morty show uh, when it first came out. Just so I went out and I bought a cheap, like, white doctor's lab coat, coat. Uh, spiked my hair up, and I already have a flask for booze, and I just dyed my lip a little green, uh, and then, you know, just made a video call. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I went as Rick. Uh, don't worry about it, Henry. Uh, you're the Henryest Henry. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. See, you know, sometimes just a minimal of effort is it, with love is all that's required. Yeah. I mean, the, the heart's in the right place. The the brain, of course, is somewhere off in the woods, but you know, the heart was in the right place. So this now, has a uh, that this... 2003 was a robust failure. This movie is none of those things. This this current movie, uh, 2023's, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Oh, there are so many things that went right. And I, some of those will be discussed later. I, I feel like we should, rather than simply gush, I, I want to get one of the little criticisms out. Well, right in, yeah. Um, the camera work, largely very good. However, there were a couple of moments of like the, the stunt cam style where they, they do the, you know, uh, really weird, uh, oh, almost psychedelic, uh, you know, like the head spinish kind of things where, okay, that the, you know, this moment I was talking about the like spin cam thing that there were only, I think, two moments that they did that. I want to highlight that I alone have a personal grudge against that kind of thing. It's a cheap trick. Uh, there are only very, very specific moments where a thing like that would be of any particular use. And it's usually when it's used, it's just as a show-off moment, you know, like, ooh. And it really falls flat to me. It does not impress me at all. <clears throat> but to explain why I'm like that, I, I admit it, I'm a huge fan of like uh, Alfred Hitchcock or uh, Wes Anderson, uh, you know, or like the, the classic noir movies. Um, I don't really take a lot of pleasure from the more J.J. Abrams, like, you know. Lens flare. Yeah. And rotating the, camera. Or, yeah, the, the shaky cam stuff. Uh, I, I don't like any of that. Uh, a lot of the popular new things that people do directorially just they they don't sit well with me i don't enjoy them it is like disjarring it is jarring and disorienting and it takes me out of the place i need to be to relax suspend disbelief and enjoy a film as it is so there were two moments that i can specifically think of that were like that i didn't like those two moments however they did not abuse this and so I was very easily able to go, eh, so I don't like that kind of directorial trick. I'm okay with that. The rest yeah. of this is awesome. I'm having such a good time. I really, I can't bring myself to be upset about it right now. Well, I just want to revisit one thing here. When uh, the original D&D movie was released in 2000. Oh, December, that's right. And then uh, Lord of the Rings came out in 2001, which, you know, you have to kind of like take a, a step back and say like, you know, this was a total failure on almost every level, conceptually and oh, artistically. And yeah. this movie here that features, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, The Honor Among Thieves, has Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, uh, Regé Jean Page. I think I'm pronouncing the name right. Oh, Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah, and uh, Justice Smith and Sophia Lillis and Hugh Grant. And also... Uh, well, this is one spoiler we're going to put in there. A surprise appearance by Bradley Cooper, as well as uh, a, a villainous appearance by Daisy Head. So oh, awesome. Yeah, she did a great job as the Red Wizard of Thay, didn't she? 
uh, chilling. Uh, because, you know, honestly, uh, I, I know that people should see it coming. But I didn't. Uh, I was like doing the suspension of disbelief thing, which I do so that I can relax and properly enjoy a movie rather than being critical, hypercritical right, right. all the time. Uh, so I, as I'm letting this just wash over me in all its glory, it was like, it caught, it, oh, you know. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we're basically telling you, you know, the Red Wizards of say, but they don't do a, uh, a very good job of hiding that in any of the pre-release stuff. So. No, no, no they, they, they've made it pretty clear in the trailers. So I, I feel like we're still on safe ground mentioning that. Yeah, and but they use the Forgotten Realms landscape as well as the name drops. They're, they are a conceptual idea here that I think is just not name dropping just for fan service, but actually for plotting. And if I understand it right, and we don't know... Uh, what's going to happen this uh, weekend is going to be uh, kind of telling uh, how things play out. But right now, as of current, uh, the movie has made worldwide over $82 million, which it costs about 150 to make. So there's, it's looking at that right now it will break even at, at the very worst. Uh, I think it opens up with uh, at this uh, time of this podcast against Super Mario Brothers. It pushed John Wick off number one. Yeah, which and is an impressive feat all by itself. Uh, word of mouth is uh, carried. A lot of people believe that word of mouth will carry it through the next week. This week, it may uh, slip down a notch or two. But if it stays up in the top five for at least three to four weeks, it they looks like have, it will well recoup and get ready for the sequel, which they are. And of course, in this era, uh, let's not forget that box office results are not the only measurement. Uh, the yeah, there's the metric a... is the you know like streaming availability and the online purchase thereof. Uh, you know, both. Yeah, it used to be direct to DVD sales. When that happened, there was another little. Uh, and uh, now push. it happens far sooner. You know. Yeah, well, the streaming services has changed it. So that I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I for the actors, uh, look, I I don't think anybody did a appalling job uh, but I do want to single out uh, Michelle Rodriguez for exceptional praise um, I've been a fan of hers since the days of Resident Evil okay mm -hmm. when that first came out and yeah. <laughs> uh, man I I feel like we've gotten old together you know just yeah uh, I've been watching movies with her in them and she does a lot of like action horror type you know uh, movies she was wonderful in this. She, yeah, she, she plays the so much sensitivity uh, for a lady who has nailed it in so many roles that were like action horror esque things. You don't expect a you know a character uh, being played by someone with a lot of the horror background. They don't do a lot of sensitivity, you know, in like the shows where. Everybody's going to die anyway. Uh, I think she really got to strut her stuff here because I loved everything she did. Every well, minute yeah, she was on screen, so, I was like, Yeah, let's yeah, talk a little bit about the yeah. characters. Where uh, basically Chris Pine plays the bard, Edgen Darvis, and she plays uh, a barbarian, Holga Kilgore. And they uh, are nominally partners in crime with an old friend named Forge Fitzwilliam, played by. Hugh Grant, Hugh Grant, and wonderfully so, and I do like the fact that Hugh Grant is excited about a, a supposed relaunch of his career. 
Hey, he was great. I mean, first, uh, Hugh Grant's performance is very lively. You know, he's very energized. Yes. Uh, and I know, you know, the logically I know that people are acting, but like I, when I'm in suspension of disbelief mode and I'm watching a movie, uh, I felt like he stole the scene wonderfully whenever he was on. Oh, yeah. You can definitely tell he's an A-lister. Yeah. You, that has you been passed see over. those chops he's always had come right back out. And like he, he obviously held back nothing. You know, despite the fact that this is not the, you know, we associate Hugh Grant with a much, you know, more widely popular variety of movie. A rom-com. You know, yeah, he was huge in the rom-com trade back in the day. And he got typecast into that. And now he's, yeah, I, my first uh, encounter with uh, him was uh, Ken Russell's Lair of the White Worm. Though. Well, yeah, we, we wanted to mention that. I, a I, uh, very young Hugh Grant wielding a broadsword against a snake cult. Well, uh, Robert E. Howard's Lair of the Right Worm, uh, but but lo only loosely based. That, it, yeah, it, yeah. Ken Russell did quite a number on it. That I, I, I don't believe uh, nuns were a big part of the original version. Ken Russell and nuns, maybe. although chopping the high priestess of uh, the head Damn. off and her body uh, still uh, writhing on the ground after the decapitation like a serpent. Decapitation. Yeah. <laughs> but anyhow. Hugh Grant, ah, everything I could have asked for. And for Chris Pine, uh, the praise I dole out here, terrific comedic timing, which I did not expect. I like the guy. I don't really, like, I haven't followed a ton of things that he's done, but I'd never heard anything horrible about him. So I, I went in with an open mind. Nice. Did a terrific job. Yeah, and then um, the um, this... I would call them more supporting characters in a role. Uh, uh, Sophia Lillis playing the Typhoon Druid from the Emerald Circle, which is another realm name drop. <laughs> um, was very, uh, I think she was a little underplayed. And uh, when we get into the uh, second part, I'm going to delve into that, one of my criticisms. But uh, I'm going to go with my criticisms of the movie. I, I Overall, I have very little to complain about, and I would have to work hard. But two things do stick out to me. One is that maybe it would have been better at the first to say game created by, based on a game created by uh, Gary Gygax and Dave Arnes, and I think we're at that level now where we can say both names together. As well as set in a uh, in the Forgotten Realm setting created by Ed Greenwood, I think that would have been and Jeff Grubb possibly put in there. That uh, true. Kim Mohan was also very instrumental in pushing the TSR folks back then to accepting it because he had been the editor in chief of Dragon Magazine for those years. That Ed was sending in a lot of stuff, and you know that was something that really amazed him. Like, wow, this is really well written. This yeah, is. this <laughs> Mr. Greenwood's creations. Uh, were wonderfully intricate. Yeah, and after Gary's exit and uh, their abandonment of the Greyhawk campaign, think of say that of what you will. When they brought the Forgotten Realms in, I mean, those uh, two, Jeff Grubb and Kim Mohan, were very instrumental in pushing. Like, okay, we got to go with the new campaign world. This is this is it. This, this is, is the one. This is the horse to back. Uh, so I think that them having a little acknowledgement to front. Daddy needs been, a new pair of shoes, baby. I've heard from some people that, and I've seen this, uh, some screenshots that we've had uh, circle around, that they do give kind of like at the way ending, they uh, have them buried at the end of the credits. I 
I don't know. I think that that is a criticism, but that's a mild one I, overall. I consider that fair because, I mean, you know, let's face it, uh, I, I did notice that, like, rather than even mentioning Wizards of the Coast, I mean, it was like the, the first billing went to Hasbro's. You know, yeah, which, yeah, and that's the, the, uh, that coincides okay. with the first one. Uh, the second criticism I have, roughly speaking, is the the way that uh, certain uh, people have approached this movie politically or tried to assign some agenda into it has been definitely sidestepped, but it's also been part of the narrative that dogs its heels. I think that um, some people have assigned way more to it than is there. If you go into this looking for a political statement, you really are having to dig deep for that one. So yeah. my criticism, there is nothing here. Some people said, well, what's emasculated because he plays second fiddle. I'm like, my dude, do you even Dungeons and Dragons? If you have to have a fight scene, who is going to lead the charge in that one? The barbarian or the bard? Yeah, look, uh, if the main character had been written to be the barbarian, and that was Chris Pine's character, okay, then he should totally be kicking all kinds of butt. Michelle Rodriguez was not only the like right person for the job, uh, she then proceeded to excel at the job she did. Because point blank, um, she has the practical experience from years of being in top tier, you know, and, and all right, there have been some not so top tier, but she may have been the best part of some of those. Uh, her capacity for this, ah, it was ideal. Oh yeah. So uh, that's our that's our uh, non-spoiler. So if I, it's a little vague, I, I all right. You know what? I'm I'm just oh we, we're yeah we're going to 15 seconds. So <laughs> yeah. Okay. We will be back with the spoilery. Yeah, portion. it seems it's like a little shallow. We're trying to avoid uh, ruining too much of the movie, but yeah, stick around. We'll be back. All right, we're back. So hey. Um, we understand the ads aren't working. We're trying to get that uh, worked out with Spotify. So if you're not hearing our ads and you're just as happy with that, uh, cool. Um, apparently it works on their end, so they're they're pleased. So yeah, uh, just listening, I guess, uh, works. But uh, let us know if there's any other technical issues uh, that have uh, come about. But that said, we had to cut off early. We got uh, lost in the weeds a little bit, talking, gushing, but. Uh, my criticisms are just two, just those two. And uh, if the reason why we're so vague about the person, we just really don't want to spoil anything because we really treasure the surprises. I mean, being blindsided by a trailer that just basically throws a lot of things out there. And we as kind of uh, elder gamers can tell what they're going for here. For instance, when they just say that uh, right off the bat with the Dungeons & Dragons movie, um, Basically, the, the movie starts out with uh, Edgar Darvis, uh, Chris Pine's character. He's a former Harper and had been working for them. And they do it very well that there's an oath for the Harpers. And I'll let Mike tell what the oath is. How true to that of the Forgotten Realms lore was that, that you know, you take nothing in return. I can't actually say at the moment. I wasn't planning to answer that question. Oh, well, surprise. Yeah. Ah, well, they certainly did seem to create the correct impression of the Harpers, which is, you know, it's... That they're, well, their code is to work against villainy and wickedness whenever they find it. Yeah, they are. And that all beings should walk fear with the right to live their lives as they wish. There's an oath that they take, and yes, that is something very serious. 
But apparently he had been doing all these things for all the right reasons and had very little reward. And he ends up taking some treasure. A moment of temptation is involved where he failed. And there is a terrible, terrible cost for what, like, the smallest of failures. It's just a little bit of treasure, a little something to, you know, bring home and a little wealth to, you know, have a nice life with the wife and child and all of that. You know, who wouldn't be tempted? Oh. Well, he brings it back, and as we know, the uh, in Forgotten Realm, deep Forgotten Realms lore, the Thans do mark their treasure. Yeah. And the Thans are more than just red wizards. They have a whole cast of servants and underlings that do their bidding. To the At the top of the heap is them. The red-robed wizards rule all parts of society. And who rules the red-robed wizards? But Svastam. Yeah, and he makes in basically a Thanos-level appearance in this one. Very secretive from the shadows, but well done. Yeah, very tasteful. Not um, too much of a reveal. But we'll go into that one. But uh, then he, uh, um, Ed, Edgen loses his family as the Red Wizards come in. And then he, disillusioned, uh, takes his daughter and uh, with a former partner, teams up with Holga Kilgore. And uh, they also with... Uh, Forge Fitzwilliam, who's more of a con man rogue, yes. the mastermind. Uh, they, uh, with an amateur sorcerer who is apparently uh, descended from Elminster himself. Yeah, very noble and you know pre prestigious bloodline, uh, but has never like broken that upper ceiling. You know, he's never really had that level of robust success. You know, he wrestling with those questions of like, am I a fit inheritor to my ancestors' greatness? And no, I don't think I am. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, you know, to be honest, it, it actually, the story really begins with two of them imprisoned. Right. And, um, you know, they kind of go in a back uh, wave, but uh, the idea was in their past that they he had been tempted by a mysterious acquaintance of Forge Fit Williams, uh, Sophina, a mysterious wizard who wanted to break into a uh, Harper stronghold and steal a tablet of reawakening, ostensibly to give back his uh, life, his wife's uh, stolen life. But they get captured, and then they start in prison, which is a very good prison break uh, introduction. They're almost in uh, the Panopticon with the, the central tower overlooking everything. And, um, yeah, don't interrupt Holga's potato time. That's her highlight of her day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this is where you're introduced to the characters. <laughs> it's not like Chris Pine didn't give fair warning, did they? I told him. Yeah, don't don't interrupt. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that did not end well. But in any case, it's been a year or so. Or yeah, they escape from prison. They make their jailbreak, and uh, on the back of an Arakra, Arakokra, Arakokra. Yeah, and uh, they run off to Neverwinter and learn that Forge has now become elected Lord Mayor. Yeah, I mean, unbelievably. He has managed to prosper while they have been on, you know, <laughs> skid row in a prisoned in a uh, the icy north. Just wow, man! They treat the reprobates harshly up there. You know, you get shipped up there. I, I think the point is that there's nowhere for you to escape for that isn't equally deadly. 
<laughs> you're way better off just staying in the prison. But they found a loophole. <laughs> yep. And um, it turns out that Forge has been taking care of Kira for becoming her not just uncle, but now her adoptive father for all the wrong reasons. Wow. Yeah, which, I mean, real kick in the, t- kick in the gut for Chris Pine's characters. Like, oh, my God. You know, like, you, you've raised my daughter better than I could have, and she loves you, and, like, has, you've raised her to have contempt for me. Uh, so <laughs> trying to win back his place in her heart... Uh, it's a little, it's a little tear jerk, you know, string puller there. Yeah, but uh, Hugh Grant's character, Fitzwilliam, uh, yeah, he's like, oh, I just want somebody to mold and look up to me and adore me for. Oh, and every line of dialogue he delivers about parenting just reads like a narcissist. Yes, it was well scripted. Okay, that that's another compliment to them is that uh, that even as he's speaking with this great tone of affection. Like the parts that are leaking out, you can just kind of see right under the surface that like, yes, I love her, but it's really all about me. Yeah. <laughs> the way she looks up to me, the way she follows me and listens to me, to me, 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 uh, you know, they, it was not too subtle, but it was there. Uh, and I appreciated it. I was like, yeah, okay. You got it. Oh, uh, I want to flash forward to the ending. The oh. tidbit I absolutely have to get out. Okay. Uh, do you remember the song that was playing at the like the beginning of the end of the movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, we did it right this time. Mm-hmm. That line in the song. I was like, that is not an accidental. No, choice. no, because that was fabulous. I, as with for anybody, it, I was like, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about yes, that. Yes, you for did. A quick second. They broke all continuity ties with the previous movies. If you're yeah. worried about like, oh, this is just gonna, you know, have some nope, nope. They uh, they have starting some, over from scratch. This is gonna have some connection to those awful movies, and I mean, yeah. I would give the second one some uh, a pass for its attempt. It was it was uh, well intentioned, and third one, I don't know what they were doing, but whatever. At that point, it was or the plot had been lost, and we we're in the meta. But this. <laughs> Is a complete new uh, start. So there, if you're worried about, oh well, is this going to have? Am I going to see Profirian or some guy with blue lipstick wandering around? No, no, not no. going to happen. Yeah, that that that's gone. So, but anyway, they have to get out of the city, and uh, then uh, Sophina is revealed as a red wizard to their horror, and uh, they manage to escape. But uh, they get out. Uh, yeah, the name of the prison is Rebel's End, and I don't know if. That's another thing I was going to pick your brain about if that was a... a I don't remember that. But uh, anyway, um, you find out also that Forge has reinstituted the High Sun Games, which were previously outlawed under the old uh, mayor. Yeah, he's bringing it back. And it seems like, you know, he's inviting a large number of wealthy patrons from around uh, various countries Come, come to Neverwinter and celebrate. You know, we're going to have these the High Sun Festival games, and then we're going to, uh, and people will be gambling upon them, uh, and they will bring vast treasures, which will be, you know, like held in, you know, safekeeping for them. And if that's starting to sound suspicious, yeah, yeah, and you're right to, you know, sus. So, Edgen and Holga. Um, they find Simon, who is running uh, basically parlor tricks, but manages to cast a reverse gravity spell in the middle of it, uh, of his uh, con when they uh, try to 
reacquaint themselves with him, but they get Simon on their side. And he also uh, leads them to Doric, which is a tiefling druid who is everybody's upset about that owl bear thing, but very well done. Uh, her uh, scenes there. And um, my yeah, one criticism too- comes out here about her characters. I think that I understand that they wanted to keep certain uh, roles like her shape shifting is a fantastical element. But maybe it's just me as a gamer. I would have liked to see her utilize more as uh, see some more druidic magic come from her. Um, it seems like her character was a little lackluster. But I understand that because, you know, she has such a fantastical ability to shape change that could have confused the audience. Like, what, does everybody cast magic in this? You know, to see her doing druidic healing or cast an entangle spell or two or when she was dangling from the bridge in the Underdark. She could have just shape changed into a centipede or something and crawled up or whatever. But yeah, they do use her wild shape talent uh, talent to the max in this. Yeah, not every single time. There's a couple of incidents where, like, you you see it in more limited circumstances. But there is a significant chase scene where she is in a big hurry uh, to get away, and you know, like the continual changing of forms uh, to. <laughs> you know, get to safety is pretty fun to watch. Yeah. And it's also inspiring as a druid of how to use, Oh, I only get useless forms like, you know, mouse and I only change to a mouse or a house cat. Here you go. You know, not limited. Yeah. You can find a use for it. If you're good, you know, you can change to a hawk too. And boy, does she really uh, throw out there. And the classic version of the game, it was, uh, what was it? One bird, one reptile and one mammal. uh, Yeah. You know, per day. Yeah, and, and it's changed and evolved through the years. But yeah, they've they've changed the rules many times. But uh, making the most of the abilities you have is a wonderful thing. And having something that like gives you an example of like, hey, here's a bunch of creative ways one of these animals would be useful in such a circumstance. Yeah. So the typling uh, Doric is kind of against uh, uh, Lord Mayor uh, Fitzwilliam because he's overlogging and he used to be as uh, with the uh, Emerald Circle, they kind of had a, a, a little bit of a back and forth. It, it was an acrimonous thought. Whereas Forge Fitzwilliam is not really interested, how do I put this, in long-term good relations are not his problem. Yeah, it, it was a, a bit of a bad-tempered relationship, but it, it was worked out under the former mayor and also under the auspices of Silvery Moon and the other uh, lords of the realms to the north. But... Um, they get her on board, and so she, she shapeshifts into a fly, infiltrates the castle, finds out that there is a magical seal, nonetheless from Morden Canaan. Yeah, um, <laughs> that uh, this arcane seal on the vaults means that, you know, short of massive powered magic, there yeah, there's no teleportation. There's no way to circumvent it. Yeah, no lower or mid-level magery is going to knock this thing out of commission. Cannot be done. Uh, however, gosh, yep. like so many cases in D&D, if you have the right extremely powerful item, it's possible. And this yep, he finds out that they need a helm of disjunction. Yep, and uh, then uh, the other great thing that happens here in the film is they go to an old graveyard and ask <laughs> Olga's ancestors where to find it. Because apparently, during then this is another uh, backstory, the cult of the dragon was being fought by her ancestors, the Grimwolves. And they were opposing them, which 
well, the Northern Barbarians are very, that was a big thing back in the realms for pre-lore, was yeah, the, uh, the Cult of the Dragon was despised in the North because they had butchered so many of the Barbarian folk. They hated them. But they managed to take away a Helm of Disjunction from them. And we get to see a, a nice shot of a, a Black Dragon, which is kind of, why would they give this uh, dragon a name and not use it? I think it's a little bit like uh, we may see that dragon again in the future. Ah, good point. You're you're right. I, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah and well, the, which they did get to see a dragon. Oh yeah, I and, loved it. Yeah, so yeah, they go <laughs> and they find. Um, they have they basically. Uh, Simon has a talisman that lets them ask five questions of the corpses, and uh, boy, do they make that a comedic effort. And then you know they they dig up half the graveyard trying to find the person who had the helm as each piece unveils yet another puzzle. I gave it to this guy. Well, what was his name? Well, well in the chaos of battle, he was slain. And, you know, was handed <laughs> off to the... Oh. So, <laughs> he so, only asked him three questions. <laughs> okay. Do you like cats? Not particularly. Um, and then they left what, 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 what is the... Uh, what's your favorite... Uh, do you have a favorite book? Oh, it's so hard to pick just one. I mean... Yeah, then the other one, last one, they're so fed up that they just allowed them, allowed them from hanging. Which, yeah, the, there's a callback for that. Which, yeah, mid, again, the great lesson of quality humor is the callback. Yeah, um, the callback. It is, yeah. it is present, which tells you that the people who contributed the comedic moments in this were like, no, 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 seriously, guys, you got to <laughs> let us have a clap back to that, please. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So, yep, and so then we get Regé Jean Page's introduction where he is uh, Zenk Yandar, a paladin who is a Thane, and he fled his country. And uh, that turns in pretty good as they go into the Underdark, and there's also a, a little, uh, we get to see a scene with um, Holga's ex, who is a halfling, that's Bradley Cooper. He has a type, doesn't he? I, well, he certainly does, but uh, this is a side note. This is a critique that I, I couldn't make in the earlier chapter um, because, like, it goes into Beholda's ex-husband and, yeah. you know, the character inter involvement that uh, they had uh, where she confronts her ex, you know, get, gets her remaining possessions and and kind of makes her peace with the fact that they're no longer a thing. Here's something I didn't like. I appreciate that they use very cunning camera angles and set work to create the illusion of a person being much smaller than they are. But that made that person completely proportionate in appearance, like just a human who is not very tall. <laughs> I did not like that. I found it disconcerting. It did not feel a halfling or gnome-esque. It, it lacked what I would have considered the classic telltale signs of, you know, a, a halfling. So I was not entirely satisfied with that. I felt that that was a deficit. I appreciate, however, that they exercised great creativity in how to create that impression. I, I see what went into it, and I respect them for it. I'm just not perfectly satisfied with the final result. No, okay. I mean, that's fair. I mean, it does seem, it was one of the one that, well, the CGI broke down, but, you know, we also have to remember that scene was filmed, I think, uh, well prior to, uh, without Michelle Rodriguez being involved in that. 
but hmm. uh, you know that's that's a thing. Um, but nonetheless, um, she visits her ex, and you find out that yes, he has a type, and so does she. <laughs> so that that's a nice little uh, thing here. Nice to see Bradley Cooper, but he gives her a hither thither staff. Ah, uh, uh, yes. walk, his walking stick as a parting gift, and that turns out to be a major plot development. Which some people said, "Well, you just give away a magic item like that to." Yeah, okay. Uh, sometimes that happens in D&D where a item just kind of callously falls into your possession. You don't think that, ah, what, what are we going to do with this? But it does turn out to be one of the more important items, and they use it well throughout the rest of the uh, show. Well, you know, something that allows you to do a dimension door does not seem like the most epic of items, okay? We're not talking, you know, like, you know, staff of the arch magi here. You're like, oh, nobody would find right that. on. But eh, you know, I, I didn't. The gamer complaints have uh, rolled in on that one. It seems like that was really contrived. I'm like, not really, because there's a lot of random magic <laughs> items that don't seem to be powerful, but later on turn out to be some of the most useful. <laughs> contrived, uh, which it's all contrived. People wrote it. It's fiction. So, anyway, getting back on with the plot here, just uh, try to wrap it up uh, on no. this one. Yeah, they get, uh, they find the talisman where they have to go, and so uh, Zenk Yender leads them to the Underdark, which is another little uh, funny Enjoy. moment. Enjoyed with, that character because he's also in Ridiculously Literal. Yeah. Uh, they pass, uh, as they're going in the Underdark, there's some intellect devourers that just pass the group right by. <laughs> okay, and Chris Pine, this is where his humorous... Uh, his humorous timing really comes in. I'm going to spoil this one completely. Well, yeah, we're in the spoiler <laughs> part. <laughs> Having been cautioned. <laughs> yes, do not move. Stay silent. Try to think of nothing. Yeah. They will only attack those who you know, evince high intellect. Uh, and the intellect of ours just toddle on by and ignore them completely. And just before they move on, Chris Pine goes, well, that was hurtful. <laughs> yeah, that was... Wow. <laughs> but then they read into one of the uh, fan favorites. It really seems to resonate with uh, Thembershawn. The pudgy red dragon uh, appears just as they get the Who I consider the second hero of the film after Michelle Rodriguez. Like the second best part for me. The chunky dragon yeah. was at, at the same time ferocious and horrifying and oh, she's so cute. I want to pinch his cheeks. <laughs> Oh, I've never wanted to laugh so hard during a dragon sequence in a movie. Uh, like Smaug and others have like this was as well filmed and CGI'd and as impressive in many ways. Uh, but you know what happens when you have a great old worm that has been down in a cavern and hasn't like, has been out flying around chasing down the cattle like he used to? What happens? Okay. Well, here you go. You got yeah, and it's an actual thing in the realms, and uh, yeah, he's been well known as the uh, ember horror, um, he's the uh, ever hungry, the all devourer. And so, yeah, he's deeply involved in realms lore. So that's another nice drop in there. So then, <clears throat> um, they finally get out out of the underdark, and then they go uh, to go after Sophina and um, Fitzwilliam. And they've now found that, of course, that the uh, she's going to create an undead army and uh, go to Thay. And then there's, um, in the, the Underdark, they also have a very good fight scene with some of the Thay, um, I'm not 100% sure, but the bodyguards of the Thay wizards, 
who are often rune marked and death marked. So when they die, they resurrect themselves or reanimate as uh, hungry dead or very violent forms of undead. And uh, yeah, they keep coming back. And uh, that's a really good fight scene. I thought it was really well done. And uh, oh yeah, the well, I mean, if you just want to see the paladin be the star for a moment. Um, the action and the the physicality, the the stunt work, uh, you know, like the the choreographed movements for that fight were terrific. I mean, they're right up there. I Holy mean, Blade versus Unholy Blade, yeah, it's yeah, literally a D and D lightsaber fight. Oh. Plus the fact, a little call out to the sword and sorcerer where he throws the sword and then you know weapon bonds it back. Mm. I'm not entirely, you know, Chris Hudson said to me that like yeah, that was a call out to the sword and sorcery movie, uh, sword and sorcerer movie, you know. The uh, fantastic tri blade mm. that would seem to regenerate and the blades would come back to the next scene. The next scene, they're all mysteriously back. Okay, well, yeah, uh, I think there's a call out to that, but I also think it goes well to the weapon bond of the paladin of the oath. And um, nonetheless, um, they get they get everything in, in place, and of course, Simon now has his major moment of his past where he just can't attune himself to the helm of disjunction. Yeah, and this is some very specific 5th edition stuff where to access the powers of the thing, you really must take time to attune to it. Uh, and they made that uh, instead of some like minor like side note facet uh, of the game, uh, they made that a major personal character arc, uh, a moment of personal growth where here's somebody who is just not good at that part of it. You know, like they're, they're not really gifted at attuning to a new item. Uh, he's full of self-doubt and yeah and while crippled by all of that self-doubt he's never this major forward. artifact isn't letting him wear it until he manages to prove worthy to of the right to use this power which apparently is pimp slapping an ancestor well uh, yeah well asserting yourself over the expectation that's what's holding him back he doesn't think he's worthy of his ancestry uh, and when he no longer cares whether he's worthy or not and just goes like, no, uh, the, the issue here is that I need this and I'm not taking no for an answer. Uh, you know, when he had that level of certitude, boom, it's his. Welcome to the Helm of Disjunction, which is the ultimate loophole for breaking a magical yep, seal. Can, yep, they can, uh, using Morgan Canaan's Disjunction, you can <laughs> dis Bam. join it. So anyway, uh, while he's having trouble mastering powers, they decide to use the staff to get inside the vault. And during the games, they get now into Neverwinter. They're trying to get their uh, stuff back. Simon and Holga get inside the magically sealed, the past the Mordenkainen's door, only to find the vault empty. For all that effort, <laughs> getting the helm and using it, the vault has been empty because... Oh, classic, beautiful heist moment where, like, the heist has been heisted. <laughs> you do, What? And this is where you learn Forge Fitzwilliam's real plan, which was getting the whole games thing, becoming the boss of Neverwinter, getting the games back on, getting all these wealthy people to come here and like store their cash while they gamble. You know that their their wealth uh, is there to back what they're about to bet, and uh, he's taking all of it, <laughs> which I love. I just like, oh, that is great. I would. I would love to be in a campaign, uh, which, I mean, it's reminiscent. I mean, we did, did we ever in, in one of our episodes mention what happened with the, uh, I believe it was Ed's character and the long con he ran after he got turned evil and he waited like,
literally most of the campaign to pull off his final heist. And he just shafted two other players out of all their loot and hard-won treasure. Multi-dimensional. They were going to make a multi-dimensional pocket dimension. Oh, he stole it all. During a, a complicated <laughs> ritual on the other plane and just <laughs> slew them both, took their stuff, and left. And, you know, and locked them out. So that even if they were raised, they, they no longer had access to the pocket dimension. <laughs> it was priceless. Well, anyway, um, it's during this time that they all get captured then, and they're put into the games where we see a nice little Easter egg of the original D&D cartoon characters in real life. And so they have to go through this maze, which is a death trap. But uh, Doric uh, and Simon have these bracelets put in, and during an encounter with a gelatinous cube, Doric gets her uh, anti-magic bracelet removed, and they... Uh, Edgen thinks his way through the maze that, well, this is just a death trap. This They find a way through it. And then after that, they uh, confront Sophina. And with the help of his daughter, Kira, who has an invisibility pendant that he gave her, another little callback there, they manage to thwart Forge's escape. And they have a moment where they could have just turned away. Yeah, they've heart... got a boatload of treasure. Like, literally, yep, and the they're just swag like... of a lifetime. All the loot that was in the royal treasury, not just the visitor's loot, but the royal treasury itself and the visitor's loot, magic items, jewels, you know, the whole thing on a ship. And they're, they're, they could, they could sail away, but uh, they decide to go back. And when they realize that Sophina is about to execute the same kind of horrific spell that, you know, transformed so many in Thay into, you know, tragic, uh, unliving, you know, servile monsters. They got to go back. Yeah, you can't just let that happen. Yeah, he he relives. He revisits his Harper's oath and the oath he made to the paladin that he would return all the treasure from Forge's purloined, misguided deeds to the people of Neverwinter, and he did, using that staff out of one of the floating balloons right out of the mouth of Forge, the painted face in the side of a balloon, which they perfectly timed it so that the treasure that had been ported up into the balloon was pouring out into the streets of Neverwinter, leading away from the actual uh, center of the, the spell that's going to go off and turn people into undead. Uh, and they're all running out into the streets, chasing the gold that, you know, is literally falling from the sky, like treasure everywhere. Uh, so he fulfills, A, his promise that he's giving the money back to the people of Neverwinter, and B, he lures all the would-be victims to safety at the same time. Yeah, with help from his daughter, Kira, who now sees what uh, Forge is all about. He's willing to kill her to get his access to the treasure, and of course that turns him... Yeah, not him. to mention, you know, like, the, the lady that has been his right hand for all this time is unutterably evil. <laughs> so, <laughs> Forge himself... May not be completely evil, but he's pretty evil. Uh, Sophina, on the other hand, super evil. Well, I think we're going to take this one to extra innings because we're running out of time on this one. But we'll be right back, so hold on. We'll give our final thoughts and wrap up in just a moment. All right, we're back. Oh, round three. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about here. So 
as we just talked about the wrap up, uh, the movie comes to a very quick climax with lots of moving parts all now fitting together. Um, the group finally now with uh, getting the treasure out of Neverwinter and then returning to they have to confront Sophina. And she's a full archmage. I mean, using time stop, willy nilly, meteor swarm, and all of the trappings that you would expect. Oh, yeah. Uh, she comes down and now fully unveiled as a red wizard. Uh, they have an another, another very nice fight with the animated. Uh, she uses the uh, animate any object uh, spell <laughs> to on a copper dragon statue. And that turns to be pretty uh, formidable. Well, yeah. I mean, again, you know, a thing that qualifies in many ways like a construct. That There just aren't that many things that actually do this a lot of harm. <laughs> yeah. Um, Especially not for mid-level folks. Uh. But uh, during this, they uh, they manage uh, finally to, with uh, the help of his daughter, Kira, Edgen and Holga, put a... Uh, Give one of the bracelets that puts it on Sophina, an anti-magic bracelet that they... Yeah, the very thing used against them in the maze, uh, in, in the actual contest, uh, to you know, make sure that they couldn't just magic their way out of every problem. The very tool used against them uh, becomes their you know, her, Sophina's, undoing. Wonderful and, use. And nice then uh, a reminisce to the uh, Avengers scene in Loki. Yeah. Doric changes into her owlbear form and just brutalizes poor Sophia. Uh, which there are several moments with the owlbear that are absolutely gorgeous. Uh, wonderful to watch. Uh, I, I gotta say, you know, the trailers may not have done the concept like all the justice that, that could be, you know, done to it. Because uh, you, you see her twice uh, in the owlbear form, at least. Uh, and the, the second time is even more impressive than the first. Uh, or at least, I think perhaps it was that at that point, I was really cheering for it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a good payoff. And, uh, yep, uh, Sophina is killed, and, but also Holga is killed by one of the uh, Red Wizard's blades. And that's another thing from the realm's lore where, yep, they have an anti-resurrection. Uh, necromancy that robs you of your life and soul permanently. But uh, in this one, he uh, uses the tablet of restoration to return her rather than his wife. Yeah, the the one thing that he had been hoping to do, which was to bring back his his dead wife, you know, whom he blames himself for the loss thereof, wants to bring back his wife so that his daughter will know her mother. Uh, you know, like this has been the thing that like drove him to commit unthinkable, you know, seemingly selfish or corrupt acts. Uh, anything, you know, just an obsession with, like, I want to undo what I caused. I want to make right what I made wrong. But the truth is, his daughter didn't grow up knowing the mother of her birth. She grew up knowing Olga. Uh, and it hits him at that moment that this, this is the person who was always there for my, my kid and for me. This is the person I should use this for. Yeah, we should probably also mention that it was a platonic relationship. Yeah. Not a, uh... You know, just because this, this is like his best friend, the person who really stuck with him. Not a romantic one, yeah. Yeah. 
some people have also said that well that's uh, doesn't seem fair but uh, as we said before that's because you're bringing a little baggage into this movie that doesn't belong yeah first of all the, I mean, uh, like, the relationship with- I, I I suppose I understand I mean there are some people who have never had a friend that they would like suffer great loss for or that they would make great sacrifice for mm. I appreciate that that's a thing in the world I feel terrible that that's a thing in the world but I got a whole bunch of friends that like I already have uh, sacrificed much to be of help to uh, at different points and a number a fair number of whom have like also been there when things were at the worst for me uh, the back and forth the give and take I mean it's obvious that you know without sex anywhere in the mix or romance or lifetime commitment or any of that stuff even with none of that in the mix you know it's love it is absolute fidelity to friendship and platonic that it may be i am incredibly grateful that i know what that feels like so i i see that in the movie and i'm like yeah i totally get it <laughs> I, i'm just so sorry that there are some people out there that have no idea what that would be like that's awful yeah and i want to mention that it's just not a, i don't bring these things up as um ways to poke fun at anybody but more or less i become annoyed at the constant criticisms that are contrived just to make a point solely to tear something down that they are opposed to based on the fact that it shows something in a way that they themselves don't approve of and i think that at some point we should probably give a little bit of exposition on that but I think for right now, it's just safe to say, that, yeah, I'm not doing it just to uh, uh, drum up uh, anybody's outrage meters. It's more of the point that, yeah, I feel that a lot of people have used this as a springboard for something that's just, it's not there, and just enjoy the story, my friends. But nonetheless, uh, the movie wraps up pretty well. Uh, Doric signals an openness to relationship with Simon again. Yeah, because now he's developing that fledgling self-confidence. He is he has begun to realize just how awesome he can be. Yep, and they restore suddenly uh, with the disappearance of the Red Wizard of Thay, uh, the old Lord of Neverwinter, boop, right uh, re- revives, uh, outlaws the games, and declares them heroes of the realm. And Forge is sent in surprise back to Revel's End, <laughs> to the very prison at which our heroes began. Yep, uh, spectacularly. Uh, failing to understand in their telling of escaping from the prison that <laughs> they have since rectified the loophole that allowed them to pull off that stunt yeah. uh, during their oops <laughs> hearing for parole. Um, <laughs> fabulously slow watching Hugh Grant crash into a brick wall uh, <laughs> that had been behind that curtain. Absolutely priceless. Although work. he does escape, but. Uh, only to be captured by the paladin. Oh. So we'll perhaps see him in the next movie. But I hope so, because I really enjoyed these characters. I felt like, uh, analytically, like here we go from storytelling mode, where we're relating tidbits that we liked, to analysis mode. I felt like each of the individual characters had a lot of room to build on. Okay, not mm-hmm. not that they were complete right out of the gate. Okay, although many of them, they had enough complexity, uh, enough is implied about them uh, that they do seem like full, legitimate, realistic characters. And 
yet they all have room for growth. There is so much more that can be done with each of these characters, and I like that. I like that I enjoy their presence. Uh, I, I like the idea of seeing them in other situations. They did well here, okay? They created something that, like, I'm satisfied with what I got to see, but I am ready for more. I am. I, I, <laughs> uh, you win, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. I had a great time. And I, I, I did want to mention, I have, like, a, a very limited rating system for films, which I have used for many years. Hmm. And at the absolute bottom rank is, I will not watch this even for free. And that indicates, you know, that like I consider it an absolute apocryphal piece of crap. Uh, this is, oh, geez. I mean, two examples of that would be uh, the original D&D movie from 2000. Uh, and another one would be, <laughs> the, what's the one that MSTK or three made so famous? Man on his hands of hate. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's the other one. That, that I consider those two like almost. Uh, that's right up there with like Ed Greenwood or no, not Ed Greenwood. Uh, Ed Wood Jr. Ed Wood Jr.'s uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space. You know, just it, it just. Oh, at least that was so bad you could laugh at it. Uh, but that's the lowest setting. barely. But yes, the next setting is okay. It's free, and I got time to kill. So like, I'll watch it. That's not a very good movie, but it's kind of like popcorn. You know, it's just there. You, you don't have popcorn because it's the greatest popcorn ever. You have popcorn because it's popcorn. So next step up from that is, you know what? I'd pay for this, and that's most movies, okay? Okay. I'd go to the I'd go to a theater and I'd, I'd pay once to see this. And then the final rating, the fourth rating and the highest rating of all is, I would pay to see this again and again this is such a movie it makes at least that rank and there's a lot of other movies out there that i would pay to see again and again this movie joins that club i'll put it like this uh there's a couple movies that if i'm just it's if i just stumble across it already and playing on tnt or others and it's like halfway like not halfway but like a half hour in i'll drop everything and just watch it shawshank redemption's that movie for me yeah technically i have a fifth ranking but, but like it, it's not one that you can use for most movies you watch okay and that's the like it's a masterpiece for the ages something that will be remembered i feel that way about like the grand budapest hotel which i mean that's like anderson's you know my all-time favorite Wes Anderson movie, uh, or uh, you know, Chinatown. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, there are certain Akira Kurosawa, uh, you know, The well, Seven Samurai. The, yeah, those it, things, they're in a category by themselves. They're off on the it's, side. It's a large but, list, but it. But if you're talking, if I were to watch a hundred movies uh, at random, like mm. the best rating that is likely to come up. It's the one that I'm giving this. Well, good. I mean, that that, that it is it achieved everything I wanted out of a movie uh, for D and D. It showcased a lot of monsters and oh, items and abilities. So. I have some minor criticisms, but I have to work hard to get that, and that's the sign of a good movie overall. I think, and that they achieved it with a lot of uh, flair, 
spectacle and humor makes it you know, a success. And I hope that if yeah, they, they do decide to franchise this, which it's being hinted at now, nothing's been fully greenlighted, but there's a lot of nodding of approval. Like, yes, this is doing well. This is going to achieve what we want. That's Supposedly, there's a script for six movies, oh and a, but there is a guaranteed TV show tie into this coming up on either Netflix or Hulu. I don't remember who's got that. Really? Yeah, that will include some of the characters. We don't know which ones. And it, there is a, a, a very strong hint that the next movie will include the Emerald Enclave. Sorry, I keep calling it the Emerald Circle. But the Emerald Enclave uh, from the realms as well as uh, Drizzt. Oh, wonderful. Could be making an appearance in this one. But Nothing's for certain. This is all a lot of hearsay, even if they're like, oh, this comes from very reliable sources. Yeah, but things change. This is Hollywood. And you know what? If they're going to pull a new franchise and a lot of ideas and they use gaming stuff, this will ripple down into other games, too. You know, you could see a Traveler TV show or a series come out of this. You, <laughs> I just called it Firefly. Well, sure, you did. But, you know, <laughs> Firefly is a bit of a Look, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I totally hate Firefly and almost every aspect of it, but there are moments where I enjoy it, and uh, you know, in spite of itself. So, I get it why people do. I'm just not a Whedon fan, never will be, and uh, never was. So. Yeah, you never were. I I was uh, because I liked the teams of writers that he picked. Because well, yeah, I mean, talent is talent, and you know, you can't. Whether I dislike the guy personally, I mean, hell, there's a lot of people I dislike personally. He was I the do master like of the Whedon surprise where, you know, he tended to uh, build up your expectations and then literally turn them upside down yeah. and say, screw that, because you thought this is the way things were going to go. I'm throwing that out and we're going to do something different. Hey, the ability to not write yourself into a wall and be unafraid of turning everything upside down is great. Shows a lot of talent. I appreciate it, but I am disappointed in him as a person, uh, chiefly because I think that uh, in spite of the conflicting reports, what seems to have emerged is that he was a bully only to men or women that he felt would accept it. He was not a bully all the time. This well, tells you that he picked his targets based on who he thought wouldn't punch him in the face. <laughs> Uh, and that is, to me, just a coward. Like, if, if you're a horrible director with a foul temper who is tough to work with but produces genius, I can almost forgive you if you treat everyone like crap because your attitude is uniform. But carefully selecting targets for your frustration is just a vindictive, crappy, rotten human being thing to do. Mm. I, don't, I don't have any warm, fuzzy feelings about that. Yeah, right. I just you know I I, I, I my my one thing that I'll I'll uh, I'll pull a micism here is one thing that I uh, humble brag about myself is I never liked uh, Harry Potter uh, other than um, the love that fans showed for it and I never really liked Joss Whedon stuff other than the fact that people really dug it. Hey, but love, if I had to say like if we I look at this Harry back Potter to the original point to the uh, you know this could relate to uh, as Eric Mona said to the Pathfinder getting some kind of movie or animated release. Shortly, uh, you know, waking up Hollywood and showing them that, hey, this is what's coming out and this is what you could uh, you can uh, capitalize on if you need new material, because you guys seem to be pretty unoriginal as it is. So you yeah. like to borrow other stuff, you know, well, here's some good stuff here for you to use. 
if you so choose to use it. And if the D&D movie is as successful, and it seems to be on its path to doing hey, so. Hey, the cult success of uh, Bright, okay? Uh, boy, like Shadowrun. <laughs> Shadowrun the movie. Okay? Yeah, they should make a Bright role-playing game. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, ow. <laughs> the stupid, it burns. It burns like hygiene. Uh, no, I, I got to say, uh, the core concepts that emerge out of gaming and a wide variety of games are a ripe ground for harvest. And this this movie, you know, oh, it's a nice piece of work. And I'm yeah. hoping it, it spreads the, the exact mindset that you're talking about there. Uh, I did want to side note that, hey, the only thing I truly love about the whole Harry Potter thing is little kids picked up books and read them. They didn't watch TV screens all day. They didn't like watch three second TikTok videos. No, well, they picked up they, books and they read them when this came out. TikTok, but yeah, they didn't have that then. But like, but they, yeah, uh, you yeah. know what? Uh, same thing with with comic books. You know, I you know I didn't need to have uh, a rehash of the David Copperfield mixed with uh, the uh, Neil Gaiman's Secrets of Magic. Oh, uh, the books of magic. Books of magic. Yes. I'm so sorry. Which I may have mentioned some time ago in the past. Which, like, if you want to, if you wonder what people uh, Rowling's age and my age were reading in comic book shops uh, 35 years ago, uh, look up Neil Gaiman's The Books of Magic. Uh, you know, J.K. Rowling's the spectacle uh, the, uh, British description kid. of the goblins was uh, ranks up there with three books I've hurled across the room uh, reading. One was Ayn Rand's uh, Fountainhead. The other was uh, uh, John Norman's Go Nomads of Gore. And the third was hers for her when she went into this, the just leering description of goblins. It was like anti-Semitism much. But maybe that, you know, I was like, uh, even at that point, I was still like, hey, that's just me, man. I'm just really sensitive to that stuff. Turns out, prescient. Nonetheless, uh, we're just going to wrap it up there. We're going to call it good. Thanks for the extra episodes. And yeah, thanks for uh, everybody sticking around. Uh, thanks for putting up with our extra segment. But we loved this movie way too much to <laughs> like just skimp on the details. Um, we really wanted both the content from the movie to get a mention uh, and then like some opportunities to analyze the pieces that we truly enjoyed and the pieces that left us feeling a little unsatisfied. Yeah. Uh, overall, big win. So, yeah, an extra lengthy review for a movie that we've been anticipating for over a year. So, hopefully, we'll see more of this. So, anyway, if you like what we did here and you want to give us a comment, that old Facebook group, the Dice are Screamings out there for you, use that. Also, you can uh, use the Spotify for Podcasters app. That's what it's called now. And uh, leave us a message there because that apparently is still working. But nonetheless, we're going to sign off here. So, until next time. May, May the, the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.